Welcome to the Attorney Wellbeing Roundtable for the New York State Bar Association. I am joined with my uh, here with my co-host, Dr. Carrie O'Hara, a clinical psychologist from Saratoga Springs, New York. And I am Libby Carino, uh, a lawyer also in Saratoga Springs, New York. And uh, we talk about all things related to the well-being of lawyers and the practice of law. And today we are joined by two of our special guests to talk about staying connected and finding meaning and purpose for the senior lawyer. And I'm so pleased because I've had the opportunity to teach and communicate with both of these gentlemen over the last few years. And I'm just and so inspired by uh, the work that they're doing. So I'd like to welcome Stephen Gallagher and Bruce Lawrence uh, to the show today. <laughs> Hi guys. I'm gonna jump really quickly and then I'll let you guys uh, fill in anything that I might have missed. So um, St Stephen Gallagher actually was the first director of law office economics and management for the New York State Bar Association back in the 90s and then transitioned into how I know him, which is through his fabulous coaching um, skills and abilities, working with lawyers in transition looking at marketing skills, uh, teaching marketing strategy to MBA students. And the topic that I love to listen to him the most on is the personal empowerment tools to take uh, lawyers and professionals on the journey of, of their professional and personal lives. So it's exciting. So thank you, Stephen, for joining us today. Thank you, Lily, for having me. And then I also want to introduce uh, Bruce Lawrence, who, as I mentioned, I had an opportunity to present with uh, at the annual meeting this past January. And uh, Bruce heads up the Boylan, uh, uh, Boylan Codes Creditors Rights Practice Group, and he has uh, over 40 years experience in the fields of debtor-creditor debtor law, bank and commercial collections, business loan workouts, and bankruptcy. And with respect to the Senior Lawyer Initiative, he and Stephen have been working for years, uh, at least the past two years, on how to bring senior lawyers and younger lawyers together to have conversations about practice transition, about meaning and purpose, and a, a topic that I hope we're gonna to touch on today, which is um, Bruce's own experience with uh, transitioning from a full-time lawyer um, to being able to transition his practice uh, to people coming up behind him and uh, being able to still give back in meaningful ways um, because uh, there is still so much to offer even in your wisdom years. So I want to welcome Bruce too. Thank you. Pleased to be here. And so um, we'll start, I think, a little bit with the concept of what is it about the last two years for you both that has really called you towards listening to what senior lawyers have to say and their what I call their wisdom years um, and what you're hearing and how you've been attempting to address what you do here. I had really not never thought that I would join a senior lawyer section. Um, and uh, I got sort of uh, forced into it because uh, my longtime partner, Justin Vigdor, was really the person that the bar, uh, former president, but he forced the forming of the senior lawyer section. And uh, so I didn't, I couldn't say no anymore. So the, um... And what does it what does it mean? I think to join to join the section to be part of the section. What does it say to to lawyers when they've reached that stage in their career? Well, there are a lot of lawyers that you know don't really want to say that they are a senior. Um, uh, 
and it's frequently been difficult getting um, people to join, though we do have 3,700 members at the New York wow. State Bar, and we're one of the larger sections. But that's also because uh, you're opt-in uh, automatically, and <laughs> you have to opt out, and there's no dues at first. So, But it's very difficult to get the section to do things. And I had been involved with uh, substantive sections, the business law section where the commercial bankruptcy was, and uh, everybody wanted to go to those meetings. They wanted to be part of the officer structure or the board structure because of the ability to network, get referrals of cases, particularly if you weren't practicing in New York City, it gave you an introduction of you to New York City practitioners who might need an attorney in Rochester or whatever. So, uh, and then when I got to the senior lawyer section, it was just like, well, people didn't come to meetings and people, you know, weren't active. And so Stephen had written an article for our publication that comes out twice a year. And the uh, Carol Burns, who was, was a former chair of the section and knew Stephen, um, and it was, we just sort of met up and I explained to Stephen, it seemed to me there was, we ought to be doing something. And so we started to think about what we could do and attorneys in transition. And we got into all sorts of far fields as to rural practice and whether senior lawyers could maybe turn their practice over and to younger lawyers in rural areas. So, but I'm getting a little ahead of us, but that's, that's sort of how I got. <laughs> that's okay. And Steve, Steve, what brought you, what brought you here and, and what has your experience been, um, you know, on, a, on an admittedly different track because you're not um, inside the throes of a law firm, but you have so much to offer. Well, when I started working at the Bar Association in 1990, I was law practice management, what it is now. And um, the major customer for law practice management is solo and small firm. Okay. And I felt over the years that there's so little support that comes out for specifically solo and small firms. So I really became an expert in that area, you know, participated in the ABA and went around the country and found great programs. And many of them were in the area of lawyers in transition. So when I retired and moved back to my family home, um, in the Philadelphia area, I was able to keep up with that. With, um, and so I did a lot of writing, developing content in that particular area. And I think the first article that Bruce saw was something that I wrote with my good friend Lenny Sienko uh, from Hancock, New York. Um, I would give the facts and he would give the story, but it was the, the profession in transition. And Bruce, I think, called Lenny and said, could you help me with the senior lawyer section? That we, we lack a purpose. Why? You know, we, and then we, when we talked, we said, well, who would want to celebrate getting a year older? At a certain point, it gets really old. You, you know, but that you have a responsibility to the younger people in the profession um, is really a worthwhile thing. And we both gleamed onto that. And we started then doing programs that we will we'll be able to share with you to try to bring senior lawyers, get them out of their houses or offices, uh, to prepare to transition to practice for the good of the clients, for the good of yourself and your family, and you know to get uh, younger attorneys up to 
where they should be professionally. So it's just been an area of interest I've been able to pursue and write with and um, for the last two years, working with the senior lawyer section. Well, the, the thing that, thank you, the thing that I hear so much is that for the substantive sections or, you know, as Bruce mentioned, the banking or, or, or the things that bring lawyers uh, to meetings was that was the purpose and the meaning of their lives at that time was building their practice, making connections, um, becoming competent and proficient uh, in the actual practice of law. And it's curious to me that when you reach what I call your wisdom years, you don't need to do those things. Your life shifts a little bit, but what seems to remain is the very thing that you just highlighted, which was, what's the purpose? What's the purpose for a senior lawyer? And so I just wanted to put that out to you both to say, what have you been finding as, um, as our meaning and purpose as we age shifts? Well, I think it is trying to give something back to the profession. And um, so I was never that involved in sections, uh, but I was a bar leader and I was a county bar president. I was the vice president in the House of Delegates for the seventh judicial district for four terms, uh, two terms as secretary of the association uh, and just made a lot of contacts and all of us uh, there were some fascinating issues that came before the House of Delegates and, and really some of them you would, you don't even tend to think back about, but um, same-sex marriage. There were a number of attorneys who remembered the trouble that the ABA got into, uh, and I don't even remember what the issue was, but it was a similar type of issue, and a lot of people quit. And so uh, there was an argument, we shouldn't discuss this, we shouldn't... Uh, and it was like, no, there's, that's what we're here for is to discuss these things and make some decisions and do what's right for people. And so I wanted to, to, to come over to Dr. Carey for a minute and just, you know, from, from, the, from the psychological perspective, one of the things that's been coming out as we, as we travel around and talk and host the Wellbeing Roundtable and, and hear from all kinds of lawyers is that um, we've seen some beautiful connections between the wisdom of some of the older and more seasoned attorneys and the people either in early practice or law school. What do you see from, from that perspective of, of needing to have a stone of, of meaning and purpose throughout your career, no matter where you find yourself? Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, when you hear it, you know, the need for meaning and purpose and an overarching goal, no matter what developmental stage you're in. And just as we were talking previous um, in the week, Libby, we have to have that be malleable and adjustable over the course of time. So there are law students who are struggling with that issue and there are senior lawyers struggling with that issue and every walk of life in between. Um, and, you know, I think for um, the, any profession, but particularly in law, that um, it's not just a job, you know, it's not just a career, it's part of who you are, your self-identity, your self-worth. Uh, and so if the perception is that as I get older, I'm losing that, 
that's going to create a whole lot of resistance, fear, anxiety, you know, etc. So I think to really just recognize the value, the incredible value, as as Bruce mentioned, of mentorship, of holding history, of being able to walk, a, you know, a law school student through some of these struggles, it's, it's priceless. And being sure that we see and reinforce and communicate the value in all of that, because it's the heart and soul of the profession, really. Well, and I think that's the community aspect. And I, and I wanted to ask the gentleman, um, what have you noticed in the time that you've spent um, in and among the, the profession of lawyers about lawyer community um, and what we have to offer each other and the, and the bringing together of lawyers for practice reasons, for community reasons, for uh, mentorship reasons? Because I, I just heard you know, Bruce say a minute ago, about uh, same-sex marriage and, and handling difficult issues and that uh, it really is the the community of lawyers who um, who come together to tackle those kinds of things. So what have you seen over the course of your careers um, that we've lost? What have we gained? And what have we learned about what we need? Bruce, why don't you um, tell them about the gathering? What we call the gathering was a meeting a small meeting with a local bar association. And we had, the first one was in, in Rochester. Um, and, and Bruce oversaw it, coordinated and things like that. And we ended up inviting, and we, a young lawyer, uh, chair of the young lawyer section, supporting the program. And we thought we marketed it pretty good there. And how many senior lawyers were there? How many young lawyers, Bruce? And what did you hear from the senior lawyers? My memory, I mean, this was, in, I think, in 2018, but my memory was we had about 35 uh, senior lawyers and maybe about 10 young lawyers. Um, and we had a format where uh, Steve had arranged for two videos to be made, uh, attorneys talking about, one of them was an attorney who was a sole practitioner and figured out a way to attract somebody to come in and to buy into the firm. And the two of them were in the video. Uh, and then when that was done, the people were at uh, breakout tables and the breakout tables were arranged so that there were mixed groups and uh, the, and then the breakout table leader would present back to everybody. Uh, and people, it just pulled people together uh, to, to look at that issue. But I remember at the end of the program, a, a attorney, a contemporary of mine who had been in sole practice, uh, and he said, this is the first time I've ever talked to anybody uh, contemporary about what I'm going to do and what my future is and what I should be doing. Um, so it's just, you never, people don't tend to talk about it. And our, my firm was, was about 10 people merged in with a larger firm. There were some 35 of us in uh, Boylan Code. And there were attorneys there that, have been practicing uh, forever. Justin Vigdor was there. He just turned 90. Uh, Warren Halbrunner is about that age. Warren escaped Germany just before World War II started. Uh, and there was just this tradition that people in that firm just kept going. And uh, I pretty much kept going. Uh, I'm 75 and 
started to come in three days a week. But a lot of that that I was doing, I had turned clients over as I still advise, but I was doing a lot of community and professional stuff and uh, um, the state bar uh, foundation board. And uh, so, I'm, but I'd always had done that. Those, all those years I spent in the house of delegates, I was constantly being appointed on to committees to consider issues and report back. And you get to know people all over the state, which is wonderful. And so that is the, the sense of community and, um, and part of the, I think the meaning and purpose that that Carrie and I are hearing about. Um, but Carrie, I wanted to ask you for just a minute, what do you think it is from the, uh, the clinical background or the psychological background about what keeps lawyers, I mean, I know you and I uh, spend nearly all of our, our free time um, talking with lawyers and traveling around the state and listening to them. What is it that you think in all your travels of what you've heard about, what makes it hard for lawyers to do which Bruce just said, which is to talk to each other about these change of life issues. Well, I think, you know, when we take a look at the field of law in general, um, there is oftentimes a high focus on control, um, perfectionism, things being, um, you know, exactly as they should be, even take like billable hours, for example, um, really hard to keep up sometimes the pace of those things, even when you're 30, you know, let alone have other things going on in later years and physical health and so on. And I think if as a profession, uh, we view talking about, you know what, I can't, you know, run around and work you know, 80 hours a week, like I did when I was 30, if we attach to that a negative connotation or a judgment that that means someone is failing, then it's very threatening to talk about and feels like a vulnerability. Uh, and so I think that leads a lot of people to mask their concerns, mask their anxiety, and try to just keep up a pace that's probably, I would say definitely, not uh, psychologically or probably physically uh, good for them. Sustainable over time. Yeah. yeah. And thank you. So what was, so my thought here is what was the takeaway um, from getting those lawyers uh, together, this sort of idea of bringing uh, the vigor of youth with, in with the wisdom of the, um, of the senior attorneys and what did you learn and, and where, where do you, where do you want to take it? Well, where we did take it was uh, that year, we, we did a program at the annual meeting and we probably had 75 or 80 wow. people. And um, it was all senior attorneys talking about the profession and then where it was going and where they were gonna go. And <clears throat> the only young lawyer we had <clears throat> was the chair of the young lawyer section. And he ex proceeded to explain to us that if you're gonna hold a public session like this, you can't expect young associates are gonna show up at something that is sort of build about how you can figure out how you can meet up with an attorney and merge into their practice and take it over. That wouldn't go over very well at the New York City firm when they found out you were there. So yeah. we realized that we had to sort of approach it a little bit differently. And so as you, um, as you take this forward, the initiative for the senior section, um, one of the ideas I've heard you both talk about was, was working with bar associations 
to create those types of forums or fora, which would enable those types of cross connections, right? Correct. And we actually had planned uh, in May one with the Erie County Bar Association, and we were looking forward to that. But like everything else, it's postponed <laughs> until some other. Right. We are also looking at doing one down in the Binghamton area, um, Westchester. Um, there's just because there are a lot of places that don't necessarily have a large majority of people uh, who are in the local bar association. <clears throat> At one of the workshops that I attended at uh, the state bar, they were, people were talking about what their local bar association did. And one of the small community ones uh, said, well, we have social lunches, but we have one tradition that when anyone, when any of our attorneys passes, we all go to the funeral and we walk in as a group. And they were very proud of that. Carrie, yeah. what, thank you. That's, uh, I just think that's very moving. Carrie, yes. uh, what is that? That really speaks, I think, to the, the, the idea that this isn't just a job, this is a vocation, this is a calling, this is a community, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that, you know, um, the interesting thing and, and certainly from a psychological vantage point would be why not do that throughout, starting right from law school to create those connections and not wait till, you know, really far into sort of the, you know, the end of career kind of issues to realize, wait a minute, like, I need these people around me. And we're better as a community, um, you know, and I have said this before this week, um, Libby in other settings, but let's hope that if there's one silver lining that comes out of what we're all going through right now, that everyone will realize uh, the power of community and connectedness. And, you know, I think Libby and I have been talking a lot about what we're hearing from lawyers now sounds an awful lot like what we hear from lawyers when they hit retirement. You know, loss of meaning and purpose, loss of daily structure, sort of the, the culture shock of, you know, being in your house all day long when you're used to running at a pace, you know, that's inhuman, you know, and it's just a lot of the struggles that there's a lot of similarities. And with senior lawyers as Bruce and Stephen have pointed out the community and connectedness is true and same is true. And I feel like a lot of lawyers that we've talked to are realizing it now. They're learning it right yeah. in real time. Yeah. Um, thank you. And that brings me to, I think, um, Steve, your articles that you wrote with Lenny, which are some of my favorites um, that I've seen in the last couple of years because of their candor and so I, I don't know uh, whether the senior section, Bruce, I don't know if you can tell me if it's available online, but I would encourage all listeners to, to take a look at them because uh, I think they contain uh, amazingly straightforward and candid information. But one of the things I wanted to, to really ask you about, Steve, is, is that piece that, that Carrie just mentioned and also this idea of um, starting the conversation early and, and what are the types of things that you would encourage uh, lawyers to be talking about and be looking at 
um, you know, at this time and, and when to start. And I know in one of the articles it was, you know, start now, start having those conversations now. What, what, what advice do you have? Well, um, for law firms, the idea of succession planning, seeking talent is becoming an impossible job for law firms. And then they don't know where to look for the solution. So if you treat young people um, better, they'll stick with you. And in many ways, they can do that. Firms can do that, you know, to, to come up with a, a succession plan that says by, by, when you turn 50, we have a program in place that allow you to start talking with people about your life goals and those types of things. That there, there's, there are a handful of firms throughout the country, leading firms, doing this, and their results are much higher. Well, that takes away from the revenue. <laughs> so it, it, it's a tough sell. So that the, the idea that um, you have to learn how to treat your employees better is part of this mixture. We've got to do something about the debt that these young people come out of school with. That's another issue. Um, you know, solo and small firm practitioners trying to retire um, certainly needs the help from the Bar Association to figure out how can you get some funds and how can you attract young people to Hancock, New York, you know, to, to, to help Hancock, New York grow again, those types of things. So there's a variety of different things that until this past year, bar associations have been, haven't been listening, haven't been seeing it. But I think with that national report that your other podcasts will be covering, it's yeah. a good starting point and with good suggestions on what bars can do. You know, Monroe County Bar Association would be doing different things than the state bar. The state bar could partner with them to do certain things and, you know, that, that type you, of thing. So. I, think I was struck too in some of our conversations about, I think, and if I'm misquoting, I apologize, but there's a, a North Carolina model. Um, one of the states that you pointed out to me, both in the article and in our conversation, who's really, I think, a leader can you just talk a little bit about what their leadership has looked like and what they have offered their state attorneys? Well, a number of the, the, the states that I found that really stood out was North Carolina, um, New Mexico, um, Virginia, I think had another program. And they were all based on lawyers in transition. We all are people in transition and we've never been taught how to transition you know, to move to the next stage. And the, the professional associations have you locked, your being is being a lawyer. It's not, and then moving on or teaching someone else. So it, it really, it's unwritten, but it, it's hurtful to the, this is my belief. It's hurtful to, to the profession that, um, and what happened in North Carolina, the senior lawyer section got together with doctors, psychologists, uh, people from outside the profession, which is a, the first big move for, for that. You know, we don't listen to, you know, try to get CLE credit with, with just Kerry talking. Yeah, that's, yeah, you know. Right. So, so uh, they brought people together, including the in, insurers and things like that. And so they really read, led the charge on lawyers in transition, preparing 
helping lawyers retire with dignity. Uh, you know, they have a couple of goals like that. And I thought that's a perfect model because at the time I was just starting with Bruce, I said, that's, that's what we need here is that the senior lawyer section has the clout to reach out to the courts. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in the gathering that we had in New York, we had six former state bar presidents at, at our meeting. And, you know, there's only 35 of us. Right. This, this is an area of interest. And, and Bruce, as you know, <laughs> as a, um, a statesman in your firm and in the profession, how does that land with you as both the legal employer over all this time, as well as someone who has worked to transition his practice? Where do you think we can implement or where are the drawbacks? What are you seeing? I don't know that I've actually given a whole lot of thought to, you know, how we transact, tra transition individual attorneys. Uh, when I went to Boylan Code, uh, and that was 1980, um, their partnership agreement had a mandatory, you have to retire at 65. But I looked around and noticed there were all sorts of people over 65. Nobody, nobody was ever asked to retire at 65. So, <laughs> More um, of a suggestion than a yeah. requirement. <laughs> well, it, well, what happened, the, the founders of the firm, were over 65 and they, they no longer thought it was a good idea. <laughs> they, right. they didn't have any interest in stopping. So, mm -hmm. and, and I think, uh, and, and Carrie, we talked about this at the annual meeting with, with Bruce and um, with others about um, that everybody's different, right? I mean, um, people's uh, purpose and cognitive decline and interest, you know, it, it changes um, for the individual, but is a good first place um, starting the conversation, Carrie, at least, um, where? Yeah, um, <clears throat> yes, absolutely. You know, and I, um, uh, I know this would be uncomfortable for a lot of people, but if we could ever get to a place where um, at a particular stage for individuals, we just started the conversation and you could still work for 15, 20 more years. It doesn't mean that you have to retire just to have it down the road. You know, one of the characteristics of resilient individuals is that they look ahead and they plan in the present moment uh, so that they can make the future steps more successful. So having, you know, a conversation with, um, you know, as a, as a you know, uh, maybe um, middle spaced lawyer with a more senior lawyer about, you know, various aspects of your life. What would you need financially in order to retire the way that you had hoped? Um, what kind of relationships do you actually have outside your office? And if you don't have any, let's think about how we would actually get you to cultivate those things. Who are you? Uh, outside being a lawyer, you know, what are the other aspects of you that we can accentuate so that the thought of retirement doesn't mean I cease to exist. It's all of these other things as well. So doing all of those sorts of preparatory things and, and developing other areas of interest, too often what people do, which is tempting, is to think about retirement as a great big vacation 
And for very intelligent, driven people, that gets old really quickly. So trying to think, you know, more planfully than just vacation kind of stuff would be fantastic. I love that. And I, I thank you because I've heard you speak on that before. And, and it brings me back to, I think, my final uh, question, because I know uh, we only get uh, so long on these podcasts, which makes me think I want to do lots more of them. But to Bruce, you mentioned a minute ago, and I've heard you talk um, that you have, you have personally supplemented some of your community work. And I just, could you tell us a little bit about what you are doing and where you're finding ways to give back? Well, one of the first things that I did, this was many years ago, uh, but a friend of my wife's, my wife had been teaching at the time, another teacher, and she and I uh, taught a 4-H dog obedience course for uh, preteens. Uh, and it, it was great working with them and the parents. And we even had a, a one of them who went to the state fair to compete. So um, I've, I, I was... A, president of a community association, neighborhood association. It was actually an umbrella group of 12 neighborhood associations. And uh, I was also very active in democratic politics in, in the city of Rochester for years. And uh, so uh, it's just, there's a lot of, this community of Rochester has a tradition of people reaching out. Uh, and I remember the original firm I was with, the uh, senior partner said to me, the Bar Association's having a general meeting to discuss an important issue. You should come with me. And it was just, that was, this is what we do. We get together and we debate these important issues. And sometimes there's some remarkable successes. I'll just mention the one that just happened, was there were a series of articles about the fact that New York State asking a question on the application to be admitted attorney as to whether you'd ever had any mental health problems or sought treatment. And therefore, th what they had found was that law students who are under ter terrible stress, they won't seek treatment because they didn't want to have to answer that question. And the chief judge eliminated it. She just, it's gone. Yeah, that was, um, that was the working group for, um, for mental health, which I had the privilege of sitting on um, from April of last year until uh, the monumental decision and frankly, I think in the history of New York State, rapid decision to move on that. And those are the type of community endeavors where lawyers are second to none in being able to mobilize change, um, which is why I think um, the, the, the greater well-being we pay to lawyers and the, and the greater attention we pay to facilitating their wellness throughout their lives I think speaks a lot to what we can build and change um, as a society at large, given the roles that lawyers play. Um, and that's just another fantastic example. So I really thank you for bringing that up because that that's a signature piece of my life work too. So I'm really happy to talk about it. Um, so I know we're out of time, but I, I heard a few things on um, in, in the midst of our conversation that I would love to have you both back um, to talk about more. Um, specifically Stephen's comment about the culture of law and how we um, and how we work with young people and how we um, and some of the financial aspects of things that uh, of the decision making that faces firms and so I hope that you had a pleasant enough time that I could encourage you or welcome you back again but I wanted to say thank you to you both. My pleasure. Thank you for having us. 
Okay. And thank you always to my co-host, Dr. Carrie O'Hara, who is always willing to take the leap with me and talk about subject matter um, that we don't generally hear about every day in the world of law. So I appreciate all of your time and effort always. My pleasure. We're now want to see. I also want to say thank you to Stacey Whiteley and Brendan Kennedy from the New York State Bar Association who help us um, with the technical side and Stacey as liaison for all things well-being. I couldn't do this without you, so I want to say thank you to you.